But I really believe at the end of the day, the gospel's at stake for a huge number of people in our country, especially for the younger generation growing up, they are keenly watching how is the church serving, loving, caring for LGBT plus non-straight people who are many times their friends and their family. Scroll through any news feed today, and you'll hear something about sexuality. There's confusion, outrage, mistreatment, and I think there's this sinking feeling that we need to think and live better on this crucial topic of sexuality. We simply can't avoid it today in our families, in our teams, in our organizations. And so we often have fun and inspiring conversations on the podcast, but today is more of a timely and an uncomfortable conversation. And we need to lean into this conversation. And our guest today, Bruce Miller, is balanced, is grounded, and I think comes from a redemptive perspective on this idea of sexuality. And ask this question, how do we live with both grace and truth in this sexually confused time? So this is definitely stepping on some uncomfortable zones, but guys, these are conversations that we need to be having. Bruce leads us into space to be able to look and investigate and really ask the question of grace and truth a little deeper, a little better, a little more practically. So we bring you this uncomfortable conversation today, hoping that it draws you back to the Father, that it draws you into good and meaningful and redemptive conversations on this topic. So sit back and be rattled just a little bit by this conversation with Bruce Miller. Guys, today is a much-needed conversation in our world today, and this is a topic that's charged. Uh, feels like we there's certain words we can and cannot say, especially in the context of our congregations. We're going to be talking today about sexuality and especially the idea of sexual questioning. How do we have these conversations, and how do we dig for truth? How do we do this in a loving and graceful way? Uh, and I'm excited for our guest, Bruce B. Miller, to be with us. So thanks for joining us today, Bruce. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm I'm honored. Thank you guys for having me on the podcast. So, uh, Bruce, give us a, a little bit of your story. I know you've been in ministry a whole long time, and so these are calculated conversations. Many of them you've been writing about and talking about uh, for for quite a while. So, tell us a little bit about you, um, your church, and ultimately what led you to write this book. Yeah, live in McKinney, Texas. Love being a pastor of Christ Fellowship. Got five kids, six grandkids. I'm an author. This is my 10th book, so I have fun doing that. I feel like that's kind of a calling from God. And I just see this is a topic that pastor after pastor is dealing with. When I do mentoring, it comes up over and over again, and yet people are unequipped on how to deal with it. That recently, Barna and others said this is one of the topics that pastors feel least equipped or least confident, really, in talking about. So... I'm sure it's not an easy topic uh, to to write about, and so um, we're going to be talking more about your recent book today uh, through Leadership Network and uh, Thomas Nelson. So, leading a church in a time of sexual questioning. Obviously, you're doing that yourself, uh, leading your church in, in this direction, having conversations, helping others curate conversations as well. What led you to write this book in this moment? Well, years ago, I did some research on this topic for our own church and preached a series, and it was 
like five weeks on sexuality, which is more than you would usually do, but it was so well received that turned into a book. And then Leadership Network approached me and said, they're hearing this question in a lot of their pastor groups that they do. They're a, a networking organization among a lot of pastors in America. And I was somewhat reluctant, honestly. My wife said, I don't want you to be the sex bird. And I said, I get it, but I feel like someone's got to address this. And since I was asked, I said, okay. And I took the challenge to say, okay, let me at least help us to have the conversations. I don't have all the answers by a long stretch, but at least I'm help, I want to help lead us into how to navigate the people that we shepherd in this area of sexuality. Well, Bruce, thank you for taking the risk. I know this isn't necessarily the most fun or easy book to to write on, but we desperately need people starting these conversations. The goal of even having you on the podcast is that many of these conversations can continue, uh, whether they're around campfires, whether they're in pews, whether they're in our leadership meetings and boardrooms. So thank you for for doing this. So talk a little bit about this. How are leaders, especially spiritual leaders, especially within the church, wrestling through this issue of sexual questioning today? Well, it's all around us. And I think every every pastor knows that. The questions are coming up in your student ministry with kids coming out as bisexual or lesbian or gay or something else. And parents coming up with lots of emotion with saying, hey, my kid called from college and has come out of the closet. To parents who are saying, hey, we're a gay couple. Can we dedicate our kids? And can somebody be a member or be baptized? So many questions that arise can a, a person who's gay and celibate be a part of our church? What even should we think about it? Are we in favor of same-sex marriage or not? And then all the politics of it and, and concerns about lawsuits. I mean, it's just really swirling so much so that a lot of people just say, hey, we just don't even want to talk about it. Plus, the concept is very intimate, very personal to even talk about the sexuality itself. And so it's... it's um, it's a difficult topic on multiple levels, but I really believe at the end of the day, the gospel's at stake for a huge number of people in our country, not just those who are exploring different ways that they express their sexuality, but for all their family and friends, especially for the younger generation growing up, they are keenly watching how is the church serving, loving, caring for LGBT plus, Q, Q and so on, non-straight people who are many times their friends and their family. So let's focus in specifically on church leaders here for a moment. I've pastored for 13 years, you've pastored for 22, um, and obviously this conversation has changed, but where have we as church leaders intentionally or unintentionally brought damage through those who are sexually questioning? Yeah, I, I believe we've brought damage by not being silent. And there's places that I don't think we even see because most of us are caught in our own media bubble that reinforces our own points of view. And so I think most Christian pastors, including me, have not been empathetic enough with where non-straight people have been, what they've experienced and what they've heard from churches. And so lots of people that I talk to on the more conservative side of things would say, hey, be sure that they, know, they quote unquote, know that it, quote unquote, is wrong or is sin and quit doing it. And ironically, that's the message that's loud and clear. 
in fact, is amplified beyond real because, at least as I talk to folks, most gay people feel like or have heard and it gets reinforced in the national dialogue that Christians hate them, believe they're an abomination, are going to hell, and wish they didn't exist. Now, that's an overstatement and not true for most people, but that's the, that's the narrative that's out there. And so the message that, that really is harder to convey is that we love you and we welcome you and want you in our churches. And that's what's almost unbelievable. And so it takes an extra, a, a, a tremendous effort to communicate that that is really sincerely the message. Yeah, wow. Um, heartbreaking also to to hear those conversations and i'm sure you've now once you write something on it, it it sort of magnetizes the conversation toward you i'm sure you've gotten even different perspectives than when you started writing the book based on on those conversations how can we flip the script on this I, i'm hearing the word dignity how can we bring dignity instead to people who are questioning feeling stigmatized feeling pushed away um, not only from the church, but feeling pushed away in relationship. How can we bring dignity, Bruce? And you know, this, this uh, Alan, could be sound paradoxical or not where you would think we'd begin, but I think so often we're talking about the other person, like how can we minister to them better, serve them better, which we should be asking, but I honestly think it starts with our health as leaders and, I, and also our model you know, the scripture says that church leaders, Christian leaders, are to be examples to the flock. Paul's telling the leaders in Ephesus, watch over yourselves and then the flock. So I think we need to start with our own sexuality, and, and yet it's challenging to think, how do we set an example in our own lives in this area? But that's actually how I open the book, is talking about ourselves and, and our where are we in our own lives in this dimension. Bruce, where do you sense we have some of the greatest areas of unhealth in our own lives sexually that we really need to press in and deal with? I think each one of us as, as leaders needs to face ourselves. We need to face our past. What, what have we done that we regret? I would say almost every adult past puberty has sexual regrets. And, you know, if you're in a recovery program, one of the key steps is make a searching, fearless, moral inventory. You're looking at the scripture. David says, search me and know me. Is there any offensive way in me? So to ask the Spirit of God, is there any sexually offensive way in me? And this can be a really painful process to all of us look back and have regrets, whether it was yesterday or it was decades ago. I talked to a man in his 50s and he said, hey, when I was 18 years old, a girl came and said, I'm going to give you the best birthday present of your life. And she seduced him, and he lost his virginity. And he said, I've never even told my wife. And here it is 40 years later, and yeah. he's wrestling with that. Or, you know, it's an abortion, or it's, you know, things that you experienced. And then let's go beyond that. What about how you've treated other people? How have you treated sexual minorities? Have you used phrases and slurs like faggot and homo and dyke and, you know, that's so gay? Or how about with straight people? Have you sexualized somebody? Have you seduced them, lusted after them, objectified them? You know, we, we've got to get honest with ourselves and, yep. and face our own stuff. And not only in the past, but we've got to face our present. 
where are we sexually right now before God? You know, what's going on in our lives? And it's such a, a unhealthy place to be pointing at other people as those sexual sinners or those people who need to deal with their stuff and not first look at us and deal with our sexual stuff, as hard as that is to do. And really the ultimate example, I think of the, pulling the log out of our own eye and right. it's blocking our vision, it's blocking our relationships, it's blocking our freedom. And we talk a lot about freedom on, on this podcast. And we say, we're not in a leadership business at Stay Forth Designs, we're in the freedom business. And literally that's how we're designed for freedom. And so even in that sense, many times it's the, you shouldn't have, and you have you have regrets, but even the the loving, graceful way to say, we're never going to move into freedom if we don't move past those regrets, sin from our past, the areas that we just haven't wanted to to face. Um, so what what are some, I mean, is there a story maybe that, that sticks out? You've been talking about this for years, obviously within the context of your church. Do you have a freedom story of somebody realizing, man, once I deal with this, God wants to release and, and unleash some amazing things in my life. Could you share a story with us? And we had just this amazing moment a couple months ago where a lady came forward and she, her face was just dark and you could just feel the cloud over her. And she started to cry and she began to share with me. And she said, I've been in a a lesbian relationship for the last 10 years. And she said, I know it's been wrong. And I've broken it. And she said, I actually had to smoke marijuana to do what we were doing. And And then she looked at me with tears running down her eyes, and she said, could I be baptized again? Mm. And we began to talk about that, and she said, I've trusted in Christ. And we said, great. We said, sure. And she was baptized. And when she came out of that water, it was like she was a new person. And the next Sunday, she ran up to me, and, and her name's Liz, and she was so changed. Literally, her countenance was so different, so full of joy. I had to do a double take to say, is this the same person? And then she's joined our choir and to see her up there singing her heart out. And she invited her mom and dad and her sister to come because she was singing. And then we did another baptism like about three weeks ago. And I look over and she's the one with the towels to hand the towel to someone with the biggest smile on her face and just this freedom that She's been open about where she's been, and God has set her free in an amazingly powerful way. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that, Bruce. So besides reading your book, what are some clear next steps we can take? Assuming we listening, our our leaders, have influence of some kind, what are some clear next steps we can take toward dignity and healing in this area? So, you know, looking at ourselves and our own health, I've said face yourself, including face your present. And the present would be, hey, if you're right now in sexual sin, or what level, let's let's don't kid ourselves, we're probably all in sexual sin of one kind or another in some fashion or form, even in our marriages. Like, are we we taking advantage of our partner? Are we withholding sex or using it as a weapon or a reward? Like, hey, you're not going to get any tonight. Or are we trying to get our spouse to do something they're not comfortable doing? I'm saying even in our marriages to look at, are we, are we living out, like say 1 Corinthians 13 sexually? But if you're involved in something more serious, like you're caught in a sexual addiction for real, 
whether that's in a porn or with a prostitute or with another person not your spouse or that you're not married to, let, let me really encourage you to tell somebody to get help, to get counseling, to get in a recovery program. There's, you know, of course, the myth that spiritual leaders are godly people and totally mature and all that, and we don't have sexual problems. Well, of course we do. And before it all comes crashing down, if you even if you think right now, hey, there's a possibility, maybe, maybe I have the beginning of a sexual addiction, you do, <laughs> go get help right now. Uh, for the sake of Christ, hmm. you've got to deal with stuff like that head on before you just fall off the cliff. 100% agreed. We, we talk about hitting the wall and the idea of get healthy now. And then the impact grows out of that, right? Water the roots and you're going to see fruit down the line. And uh, many times, I mean, I just, I wonder how many of the things that come out in the news, we don't need another story of of a Christian leader crashing. And so I, I appreciate you shining light on this area that can start conversations. If you're listening now, um, take that as a warning, but an invitation, a beautiful invitation to start yes. now in the process, to to not be in isolation, to be in community with one another. Um, that's got to be the place we start with health is actually community and, and not trying to fight it on your own. Bruce, what else? Well, I was just, I was talking to a, a great friend of mine about this topic. And we're saying when you're the pastor and you start falling into a little bit of sin, some porn, some whatever, and you know it's wrong and you feel guilty, but you're like, how do I tell somebody? I mean, I could lose my job or lose my reputation. So you tell nobody and you isolate. And then the nature of addictions is they get worse. And it gets worse and worse until you feel absolutely trapped. And it has literally led to suicide where pastors feel like there's no way out and my family and my church would just be better off without me. And so I'm saying, look, the stakes are actually your own life. And so before it gets all the way to that level, it's, man, go get help and whatever level of help you need to get. But you know, Alan, there's another side to this. There's a, if I kind of flip it around, it's not only do we look at what we have done in our past that we regret and in our present, we also need to ask what's been done to me sexually? What's been done to me? And of course, the whole Me Too movement has just really shined a light on this. But I think, and women, of course, are, are looking at it, but as guys even, um, my wife looked at me and said, you too, Bruce. I'm like, what? And then she reminded me of, of an occasion in a, a summer between my junior and senior year, and there's a girl who moved across the street, and really there was a seduction. And it wasn't an abuse of power, and I don't want to make it to be something different than it was. But, you know... I think I was feeling like that has no impact on me today. You know, I was 16, 17 years old, whatever. But to actually face what's been done to me, what's been said to me, how have I been treated? And for for some listeners, gosh, it's way more serious, right? I mean, you were raped, you were abused, you were treated in some way that was really, really painful. Maybe you're a same-sex attracted person. And you were really, you experienced a lot of of, of abuse, or maybe you were kicked out of your home. How do you deal with all that? Maybe you were abused by a family member. I mean, let's not kid ourselves, right? Let's look at the statistics of the number of women and men who have experienced some form of sexual abuse. Hey, we've got to face that too. I just had a pastor come to me 
who is just blowing it up in student ministry at his church. And we began to talk. And he said, hey, I need to see, I think I need to see a counselor. And could you help me? I said, sure, what's going on? And he said, hey, I was abused by a cousin when I was a boy or a teenager. And I've never dealt with it. And he just started to cry and it's affecting it. He's been married for two years, just had their first baby. And it's impacting his marriage and his ministry. And we're like, hey, man, as great as the student ministry is going, because it's just going. I mean, it's incredible. It would, you know, it's, he's blowing it up with the student ministry. But wow, without dealing with what happened to him earlier in his life, it, it, it's going to cause his ministry to implode at some sometime somewhere. Yeah, it it always does. And Bruce, I'm just so thankful um, that you are opening up these conversations. I'm encouraged. Love to hear your take on it, but I'm encouraged at even just the level of um, willingness to, you know, for elder boards, lead pastors, uh, leadership teams to encourage uh, their leaders to go seek out counseling that didn't used to be, at least in my circles, was not normal. Right. Uh, and I'm seeing more and more of an openness to say it, it isn't, hey, you know, this is this is God's and this isn't, and um, you don't need help in that way. Are you seeing a lot of that kind of openness and more of a freedom and invitation to go actually deal with your stuff? Yeah, I really am. And, and I think that's an encouragement to every spiritual leader who's, t- who's listening, no matter whether you're in a church leadership or another forum, that generally speaking, your board and your leaders at your church, they want you to be healthy. And they realize you're not perfect. And I think that's people have moved past, generally speaking, put you on some kind of perfectionistic pedestal. And people respond to humility. They respond to brokenness. And to lead as a wounded healer, to lead as a broken person experiencing the grace of God and to to see you get help, to see you get counseling. Gosh, I think that sends a great message to your church across the board. And when we're talking about people with every version of sexuality, it helps reset the table as opposed to sort of the general message of, hey, heterosexual people, good, homosexual people, sinful. It's like, no, wait a minute. We're all, we all are sinning. We all deal with lust. We all have desires that cannot righteously be fulfilled. And we should not act on all of our sexual desires, whether those are other sex direct directed or same sex directed. And it's, it's that call to, we all need to deal with our sexual stuff and we all need to, what's been done to us sexually. We all need to come to the cross and we all need to exercise self-control and deal with desires that can't be righteously fulfilled. That's a good challenge and and an invitation. Uh, Bruce, I always love asking authors, uh, you know, from start to finish in this process is is a long process. It's a ton of work. It's a labor of love. It's not fun uh, in the process. What surprised you about what you learned as you were researching for and writing this book? Yeah, that's a great question. I was surprised by the growing vibrancy of the number of gay Christian people who are committed to celibacy committed to following Christ and advancing his cause. There's a growing number of men and women who are committed to Jesus and living with same-sex desires, living with romantic 
and even erotic desires for the same sex and choosing to be faithful to Jesus Christ, whether that's choosing celibacy or choosing what's called a mixed orientation marriage, which might be a new phrase to some listening, M-O-M, mixed orientation marriage. And there are people who are choosing to marry someone of the opposite sex, even while still wrestling with same-sex desires, but saying, hey, even though as a woman I'm attracted to women or a man I'm attracted to men, I've met a special woman or a special man that I really can commit my life to and, and have intimacy with while I'm still wrestling with these desires. That just happens to be the kind of way that I'm tempted. And so there's quite a number of people that are gr- that a growing number of people who are committed to Christ and committed to living in a holy way before the Lord, whether that's celibate or in a mixed orientation marriage. Wow. Fascinating. Thanks for sharing that. And um, guys, if you are listening to this podcast, we have something to talk about with somebody, whether it's a close friend, maybe it's our spouse, maybe it's somebody on our leadership team. I just want to encourage you what you're thinking about right now as a next step, as a conversation, do this wisely, do this with discernment, but to have those conversations, to don't just you know, put the iPhone down and don't just, uh, you know, take your earbuds out and say, oh, that was a good thought. Um, we truly do want you to experience freedom and, and health so we can go the long haul. We don't want to see your ministry or your marriage or your relationships uh, wrecked down the line. And so, uh, Bruce, so, so encouraging um, to hear this, the messenger, you know, in many ways living out and, and cracking open within your own church. We always want to get kind of personal uh, with the person on the podcast. We talk about ridiculously practical next steps uh, to stay healthy. So give us a little peek into to your life. Maybe some of your habits or rhythms um, could be, you know, eating, it could be exercise, it could be what you're reading, how you're learning, days off. How do you stay healthy and hope to go go the long haul in your own leadership? Yeah, Alan, I think your, your word there, rhythms, is really big for me. Um, I've actually written two books on this topic. One's called Your Life in Rhythm, and one's called Your Church in Rhythm. And so I live my life rhythmically. I believe that balance just doesn't work. I don't think that balance is as as powerful a paradigm as rhythm for a well-lived life. I think balance is more static, and rhythm is more dynamic. And so I have set up a number of rhythms in my life. Gosh, we could talk about this for the whole podcast. Actually, it's a whole other topic. But I think a question people need to ask is not only what's my mission, what are my values, all good questions, how am I designed, but a question we don't ask as often is what time is it in my life? What time is it in my life? Hmm. Meaning what stage am I in? What seasons am I in? And there's, there's two kinds of fundamental rhythms in life, kairos rhythms and chronos rhythms. And kairos are about the right time, the, the appropriate moment. And chronos is more like measured time, uh, the day, the week, the month, the quarter, the year, measured time. And so one question is, what stage of life am I in? And when you look at that, you want to ask three strategic questions. What are expectations for this time that don't fit? How can I seize opportunities that are unique to this time? And what can I look forward to in what's coming? What, it's, it's hope of what's coming next. And so for me, I'm, 
I'm in an empty nest stage and a just brand new grandfather stage. And so there are wonderful opportunities to seize with grandchildren. So that's that's kind of one part of it. But when you look at rhythms, which uh, chronos rhythms, that starts looking at habits and that sort of thing, which which I have built into my life at, at multiple levels. Can you share one or two of those that you feel like has been uh, sustaining or life-giving to you? Yeah. So I guess one question that probably spiritual leaders ask is, how much time should you spend with God? Should you do the seven-minute with God little pamphlet, or do you do the Martin Luther, I'm so busy, I should spend two hours today with God, and <laughs> should I plan more or pray more? And you know, It just is, um, we find ourselves constantly, at least I do, torn about that. So I thought, what if we think rhythmically? And one of my thoughts is we tend to think time is linear. And yes, Christian theology is linear. We're not cyclical like Hindus. However, the way God made the world is cyclical, not linear. It's not just moment, 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 but it actually is the day, the week, the month, the quarter, and the year. And these are built into the way that the cycles of the earth and the sun and the moon work. So what I've done is I have a daily time with God. So I, I think you can think of your rhythms on those fi- five fundamental cycles. So for the day, my aim is to spend an hour a day with God in the morning, but then on a week on Fridays, which is my day off, to spend two hours. So a longer time on Fridays, and then once a month to spend the day, which is like a six to eight hours, once a month on a Friday, and then once a quarter take 24 hours and often fast. And then once a year to take a three-day spiritual retreat. And so that those rhythms, and I'm not, I don't do that perfectly, but that's my general way I live is an hour a day with the Lord, two hours a week, six hours on a monthly rhythm, and then 24 hours on a quarter, and three days for an annual spiritual retreat. Beautiful. I love that. So practical. We've had various leaders you know, come on and talk about their rhythms, but... That's pretty much what everybody on on this podcast has said across the board. The balanced life is a unicorn. It's a myth. It doesn't exist. And yet the rhythmic life, um, that's how seasons work. And each season's a little bit different, but we can live within those rhythms. We even have a lot of time and energy planning tools that we take people through in our coaching and consulting. So Bruce, so close to our own hearts. Awesome. Thanks for being practical uh, on that as well. Um, last question, maybe an odd question. You put so much of your life into a book. I know what it takes start to finish. You're even a little bit tired of some of the things you wrote by the end. You've kind of beat the life out of them through editing and all that. Uh, why should church leaders pick up your book? I honestly believe that the gospel's at stake and that as a, as a spiritual leader, you have got to address these questions as difficult as they are, as fraught with danger as it is. And you've got to be educated. And so in my book, I talk about five different ways the, the word gay is used. I talk about how we can minister to those in our church who struggle with LGBT people, because we need to shepherd, to shepherd both uh, sides of that fence. And we have very practical decisions we need to make about can somebody be a member and be baptized and baby dedication and counseling and so many very practical questions that... We really have a responsibility before the Lord to answer it, and the world's looking on. How are we as Christians ministering to a group of people who have been marginalized? Well, Bruce, thanks for your time with us today. Guys, everyone listening, I encourage you to pick up this book, 
leading a church in a time of sexual questioning, not just for church leaders, but for anyone involved leading and serving in any capacity. Bruce, thanks for your time and thanks for opening up this crucial conversation for us. So I know this is a big topic and this is a deep topic and there's so many different directions that we could go because there's so much confusion about sexuality right now within our culture. But the simple question for you today is what conversation do you need to have about sexuality? What conversation do you need to have about sexuality? This may be a conversation with your elder team or your board or your leadership team. This may be something that is kind of a sinking feeling that you guys have within your team or your organization, but you just haven't had it yet. Many times these conversations sneak up on us, and we want to invite you to have proactive conversations about how do we live with grace and truth in this tough conversation about sexuality in these sexually confused times. We hope this conversation helped you think deep about a tough topic and tough conversation, but also that there's a redemptive nature to this conversation. We hope there's some encouragement, some affirmation that we need to be having these conversations. And ultimately, we need to be moving toward grace and truth. Thanks for listening. And we want to invite you to track along with all that we're doing with Stay Forth Designs. We coach leaders. We consult with teams. We get in the middle of uncomfortable conversations. We help leaders add structure to the barriers that they're facing. We help people lean into change. And we, of course, create content around these things. This podcast being one of them, we also have a blog. We have plenty of resources that we think are ridiculously practical. So head on over to our website at stayforth.com and you can see a little bit more of what we're doing. We also have experiences. We're going to be talking about those a little bit more in this next season. So hold on. You'll hear more about those soon, but go on over to our site and we would love for you to track along with what we're doing. Shot, shot, shot. We focus so long.